Ladies and gentlemen, joining me on the final edition of The Haunting for the month of October in the year of 2023, ladies and gentlemen, author Troy Taylor's on the line. Hey, Troy, how we doing? Hey, man, how are you? Busy a little bit from yeah. what I've heard. Yeah, yeah, I'm <laughs> definitely busy. Yeah, it's uh, it's October, you know, so it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things, that, and I do it all year round, but, you know, people just go crazy in October. It's a different breed of people who want to do the stuff that you do in October. Do you, do you know what I mean? No, absolutely. we get a lot of people. Yeah. We get a lot of people who, you know, uh, get drug along on, you know, tours or events or things. I, I've gotten to the point where I sometimes at the beginning, if I'm doing like one of the dinner tours that I do like along the river road or something in Illinois, I'll, I'll ask how many people were forced to come here tonight. So, <laughs> you know, because if you, if you can win those people over, even if it's just with all the history stuff, then you can feel pretty good about the rest of the group, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, but it's that time of year. So you get a people who feel, you know, I described it to somebody that said, are oh, you really busy right now? I said, yes, everything is crazy. And they said, why, why just in October? And I said, well, it, because it's Halloween, it's spooky. And I, I compared it to being the owner of an Irish pub at St. Patrick's Day when everybody's Irish, right? So you get slammed. Yeah. And then the rest of the year, things are okay. Well, this is, the, this is just like that. Everybody wants to do something spooky, and then the rest of the year, things are just okay. So, you know, you do what you do, and uh, it is a lot of fun. We've had a really fun year. Um, it's been a lot of cool things that have gone, you know, with our tours and with our events. I mean, we, we sell, but pretty much just sold out everything we're doing, which always makes you feel good, you know, to know that people are, you know, still interested in the things that you do, especially, you know, if you can add something new, even better. And, you know, this year and, 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 you know, was big for me because that Exorcist sequel came out <laughs> and that made everybody crazy about, you know, that I did that book, The Devil Came to St. Louis, yeah. and I do lectures on it a lot. And like last week, we filled an entire theater. Uh, people came to see it. I do all these dinners and stuff about it. And it's, you know, and I happen to be in the St. Louis area. So, you know, yeah. that's, that, that's helpful right there. It's helpful. But, you know, um, when I when I put this edition of the book out, I did all these interviews and stuff because it was the first time that anybody had ever revealed like his name and who the who the boy really was because yeah. it's been kept secret oh, all that time so that's been a, it's been a cool year to to tie into the exorcist stuff so it, which was unexpected i mean i knew it was coming out but i didn't know that people just go nuts about it and want to do tv stuff and all kinds of things so it's been cool it really has it's been a been a good year let's start there what is it about that story in particular is it the just the kind of the mythos of the movie and the uh, the mystique i should say is it the story so what is it about the whole exorcism story that brings people in so much well i think that you know it's the 50th anniversary okay. so we're always you know we're always being you know the, the movie comes up i mean every and this time of year again just because it's Halloween, everybody's got to put out a, you know, the scariest movies of all time list. And it's always, you know, in the top five, if not number one, I mean, Martin Scorsese says it's the most terrifying movie of all time, you know? So I think that we all, I mean, pe most people have seen it or know something about it. Even if they haven't seen it, they recognize the images they see from it, that kind of thing. So there's always an interest. And then when they find out that it's based on a true story and 
um, not not quite the same way in, in not quite the same way that like the you know conjuring movies are based on a true story because yeah. you look at those and you go okay bro brother you know <laughs> at least there's some something that seems realistic about it but the the you know the real story especially around the St. Louis area even though the family while they were originally from St. Louis all this stuff started in Maryland I mean, it wasn't even you know it's like outside of DC that's where it really took place so you know, it, or at least it started, and then the family came to St. Louis where it ended. And I think that just knowing, you know, that it was something local for people around here, but even people outside of this area. I mean, there, I, I saw a lot of books, people not from St. Louis, who want to read about the true story. And, you know, I got interested in it, gosh, man, you know, back in like the early 90s. And back then, you still had to, if you wanted to research something, you you still had to go to, you know, couldn't do anything online. There was no online. So you, you know, went to libraries and archives and you dug stuff up and you traced back addresses and stuff. And, you know, I started to find things out about the family and, and records and things. And it, it wasn't hard to track down who it was. I, the, the mystery, though, was why was it such a secret, yeah. you know? And eventually, it, it, you know, it came out. The churches just decided that they wanted to kind of low-key the whole thing because even after it happened, you know, there had been 48 witnesses who signed a paper and attested to the fact that they were convinced it was genuine, that it, this kid really was possessed. There was a church investigator who just felt like, well, we can't prove it, so we're just going to have to say it's inconclusive. And so the archbishop said, okay, we're not going to talk about it anymore. So they didn't. And everybody was told to keep their mouth shut and keep it quiet. And that was the end of it as far as most of the priests and things were involved. But there had been a diary, an outline kept of what happened in the case, a uh, handwritten diary by one of the priests, and uh, he uh, had it copied. He typed it up. He copied it and gave it to people who were involved in the case, and it was just sort of filed away. But then in the 70s, after the movie had come out, I mean, there had always been hints it was based on a true story, but nobody yeah. had any details. And then all of a sudden, one of these copies showed up. And then suddenly there were details, but even that was like bullet points. I mean, it was, it was not like something you could take and reprint and go, oh my God, here's the whole story. Um, I found that out pretty quick because the only thing I could do was try to track down anybody who was still alive that was involved. And I, I eventually, eventually I talked to every single person still alive, uh, including uh, the boy who, um, you know, was believed to be possessed. And interviewed him. I interviewed priests. I interviewed uh, an Alexian brother, a monk that was there. Um, but there's nobody left there. And now, I um, I had always told Ronald Hunkler was his name. I told him that as long as he was alive, I would never use his name, and I never did. Uh, he passed away, and then I wrote a new edition of the book, and it's been um, it's definitely been the biggest seller of. All the books I've ever written, pretty much some of them combined. So it's been a it's been a, a nice you know change of pace for me. <laughs> you know, it's been translated into other languages yeah. and all kinds of stuff. So that doesn't normally happen to this this guy from Illinois who loves to write you know true crime stories and yeah. ghost stories and does tours. You know, so it's it's kind of, it's exciting. You know, it's it's option to be a film. Uh, I've got it under option with a, a company in California. Oh, that's cool. And maybe maybe the movie will get made. Maybe it won't. It's Hollywood, so who knows? But it's still fun. You know, it's still a lot of fun.
I just want you to picture this in your head. Your story, but Pixar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that'd be great. That'd be funny. <laughs> Believe me, I've, I've looked at this. Every time something comes out, I think of it as, okay, so it's going to be a cartoon, or it's going to be like a found footage movie where somebody had a camera, or, you know, I just keep thinking, just put it out. I don't yeah. even care at this point. So, <laughs> oh, that could be interesting. Troy Taylor uh, on the line with me right now. You can find all of his stuff at AmericanHaunting.net. You know that as you talked about it, it almost what might be the coolest part about it is it's almost a church conspiracy by the end of it. You know, kind of. Yeah, it really is. It was just a, let's shut everything up. Let's keep it all quiet. And, you know, as it's turned out since 1949, they've kind of gotten um, a little caught with that kind of thing. Yeah. And while this isn't this isn't that by any means, no, 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 it's no. still just another example of you know how things get you know shut down, you know. And yeah, you can turn it into a big conspiracy theory, but you really don't even have to. I mean, it's really just you know, it, it just it's what it is. I mean, that's what they did, and they felt like they were doing the right thing. I mean, one of the priests involved, um, Father Bowder, and he was sort of the, you know how they always say the, you know, bring me an old priest to the young yeah, priest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he was the old priest, and he's the one that, he's actually the one that Father Marin in the movie is based on. Okay. Um, so he always said that one of the things he felt like, you know, the archbishop had told him not to talk, so that was good enough for him. But he also added that he felt like that if, you know, this got out about this, you know, this this kid, you know, as he grew up, that it might be harmful to him yeah. to have been involved in something like this. And, you know, as it was, it, it really, I mean, the publicity might have been, but the, the event itself was not harmful to Ronald at all. In fact, he, um, you know, went to college, graduated with degrees in engineering, went to work for NASA. Yeah, I remember uh, invented, that. Invented all kinds of stuff, you know, that, they, that keeps, you know, the Apollo missions safe when they were landing. And so he really was a, you know, but he, he also spent the rest of his life always afraid that somebody was going to find out that the exorcist was based on him because none of his colleagues at NASA ever knew. I mean, he retired in 2001, but still, they never found out. Yeah. And I think that was something important to him that they didn't know, you know. So I get it, you know, and whether or not it, it you know, he was really possessed, I, I can't say that for a fact. I mean, I wasn't there, but man, if I heard some. I heard some stories, you know, from these guys, the people who were, you know, so it does make you wonder, but I always just tell everybody, well, I can't tell you for a fact it was a possession. Uh, I don't think it was a hoax, but I don't know what it was, but I can tell you that something happened to these people because it left an impression that we're still talking about, you know, 70 years later. Troy, do you remember the moment you found out that the modern Catholic church still had an exorcism department yeah i mean um like that was you know i mean aside, I, that was scary from the movie, when i found... i know hey listen hey I, I can scare you more um i was <laughs> i was Let's doing do interviews yeah I, I was doing some interviews with uh, some of these guys and i was in indiana and i was interviewing him not most of them didn't really want to talk you know but i found one that would because he's kind of a showboat and um he was the at the time he was the in charge of all of the extra or at least the main guy he was the main exorcist for the state of indiana yeah and he would tell me see he told me a bunch of stories about exorcisms that he'd done 
And I'm sitting here listening to this, and I'm like, I am in another world right now. This is not even like Earth at this point. But he's telling me about, you know, well, most of the ones I do are, you know, are really infestations. They're not really, you know, um, they're not really a full-blown possession. It's just that these people might end up possessed. And I'm saying, so, like, their house is haunted? What's the deal? And he says, well, it's like a haunted house, but it's not a haunted house. It's really a demon. And I'm thinking, okay, this is getting a lot and then he finally he goes on and he says you know but i have done some you know some full-blown exorcisms on people i i've had people levitate off beds and i'm like wow whoa whoa, whoa wait a minute wait wait a minute now way to bury and, the I lead mean, yeah right and so man and he's but he's swearing to me it's true i i mean you know i mean i'm sure there's got to be some kind of penalty for a priest that lies to your well, face right i mean you would think that wouldn't happen. Well, I'm uh, shocked. But, so I'm not saying he is. I'm just saying, yeah. listen, this is scary. I'm you shocked know? you got him to talk. I reached out, and this was for you know this series of interviews that we did last year. I reached out to the uh, uh, Catholic office here in Des Moines that you know does Iowa, and they mm-hmm. very, very politely turned me down, and there was no discussion about it. And I'm not saying that in a bad no. way in case any of them hear me, no. but it was just no, very— it was very cut and dry that, no, we're not talking about this. Well, you would think that they would want to just for here's, – here's why I say that. Because when this particular case, this Ronald Hunkler case, wrapped up, all the priests who were involved were really disappointed that they couldn't talk about it because they felt like the public needed to know that the yeah. devil was alive and well and, you know, and was a danger to people. I mean uh, I read, I've got some letters from Father Bowden that, that – specifically says that in it you know the devil even in these times i think it's important so i'm surprised that nobody wanted to but the the other thing though with this what really scared me what what shut down the interviews with this guy that i was working with though is then he was going to demonstrate how an exorcism was done using me as as the subject (laughs) and i said you know what i i don't i'm good i'm good really i don't really need that um and it wasn't so much that, you know, I thought, oh, I, I'd like to keep all my demons. It, it wasn't that. It was like, what if, what if he accidentally does something backward, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Who knows, you know? You say something, you know, we've, we've all seen Evil Dead. We know what happens when you mess up the incantation, right? Yeah. What if he says the backward and I end up possessed or something? I, I, I pass. That hard pass. On wow, that, so. that's crazy. But, yeah, so, but uh, yeah, live and well, man, they're doing this stuff all the time. But again, like they say, though, most of the time that what mostly what they're doing is coming over and blessing people's houses. And, yeah. You know, just kind of, I don't know, house, little, little house cleaning kind of situation where people seem to be having a problem. So they come in and they, you know, pray and do a little ritual and, and things get better. Um, even if it's a placebo kind of thing. I yeah. Think it probably works for most people. And I'm sure that's a big, big part of it, you know. Because believe me, in my business, I I meet some people who just want to be told that whatever's happening isn't going to kill them and they'll be okay. You know, it's, oh, yeah, it's a ghost in your house, maybe. I don't know, you know, but do this, you know, and it seems to help. I'm sure that a lot of what they do is that, but yikes. Well, (laughs) it it also goes down the realm of when you get into the whole of idea of inviting things into your house. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, just kind of keeping that mindset of, be careful what you do with your home. Yeah. Well, so. yeah, because I mean, I, I'm, and I'm, listen, I'm bad about it. I, 
I'm one of those people who will go out and buy, you know, just weird stuff, you know, crazy <laughs> stuff that I think would be fun to have. You know, I've got a you know, collection of old Ouija boards and stuff. I mean, no, me, you, not, do you really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You well, weirdo. Not, I, don't, I, don't, I know. I know. <laughs> but I don't think they're they're, you know, demonic portals to hell unless you turn them into one. Okay. I, mean, I, I have them up as a decoration. I mean, they're hanging on the wall. They're not for use. You know, <laughs> so, you know, I mean, but I like that stuff with the history attached to it. But, you know, but I'm not going to lie. There have been things that I have brought home from places uh, over the years that I have not kept um, that have just freaked me out or have been, you know, uncomfortable. Um, I, I had bought, I had bought this, um, this, photograph this it was a civil war soldier uh and i bought it it was a like a tin type it was an old one and i had brought that thing home and it wasn't there wasn't anything really spooky about it or anything like that um but you know i just had a little history on the guy just knew that he'd been like uh you know had been a uh, drummer and all this stuff and you know had led the troops and things yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and things like that well, we started, uh, this thing was in our house, and we started at night, kept hearing, we swore it was a drum playing. I'm, I kid you not. And it would be like in the middle of the night, and there'd be this tapping in the other room. And I'd go in and check, and there's never anything going on, and I swear to you it was a drum. So this happened like three times, and I thought, okay, you know what? That's the only thing I brought home, and that's too close for comfort. That's got to go. Oh, wow. Um, and. Yeah, I've had other things too. In fact, I was in. I what that was what made me laugh is I don't know how we even got to this, but I was thinking about this thing I had brought home from Malvern Manor in Iowa. Now, do you know about that place? Yes, it you know is. Where Malvern is? Yep. Yeah, uh, it's over it's on the west side of the state. Hell. It's a yeah. uh, old uh, about institute an hour from Beliska. Yeah, there's it an started odd... out as a hotel. And then became that you know like a convalescent home. Jesus, I mean that place is scary. It really is. There's some weird connection between and uh, Josh Hurd or Johnny Hauser would be better at explaining it, but uh, a connection between Malvern and Velisca that's kind of weird and out there. But yeah, it is a yeah, it, it is. I've heard that too because of the train because yeah, of the railroad track. But stuff. but uh, yeah, I don't I don't know how legit it is. But well, uh, not to me. But to, it's cool. It's an interesting. So idea. what did what did you bring home from Malvern then? <laughs> uh, Straight jacket? Was, no, 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 nothing like that. It was just a little bottle, um, and it was an old bottle, and I found it in that Grace's room, that room that the woman. The story goes that she was like a, I don't know if she was a schizophrenic or something, but they said she was uh, had multiple personalities, and she, they say that she used to. They would hear her talking in her room, or they'd hear a man in her room. And then they would go in to check, and it would be heard. It was one of her personalities. And whatever it was, this man's voice would say over and over and over again, the devil's coming to get me, the oh, devil's wow. coming to get me. But I thought, well, you know, I'm going to take this bottle. It would be kind of cool to have a little souvenir, right? And so I never thought anything about it. I didn't think it would be a problem. And I swear to you that not long after that, every time it was sitting in my office, and I would come in the office and, and listen, I'm not psychic. I mean, we, I think we've discussed this before. Yeah. I'm a psychic as a fence post. <laughs> but I would come into the office and it just didn't feel right in there. It was just so weird. And I had it. It's kind of hard to explain. But on my desk, I've got this. I've got a couple of like these antique pieces that have like drawers on them. And then they're kind of up on the front of my desk. And I put like 
papers in them or stuff I have to deal with and stuff. And there's a lamp up there, and it's like a reproduction old, like, mission-style lamp. And it has the two pull chains on it for the lights. And I keep it up on the desk, and I put the bottle up there. It was just sitting up there next to a 1935's Buddy Lee cowboy, you know, the, from the yeah. that somebody I got as a gift one time. So you're just sitting up there, and I know Buddy Lee is not haunted, so that I'm that I'm sure about. But for some reason, that light would turn on and off by itself constantly. Like I would leave the office, I'd come back, the light would be off. Come back, light would be back on, or I'd turn it back on. A little while later, it'd turn off again. And I I thought this has got to be this bottle. So I actually gave it away in a raffle at the Haunted America. So. And it's someone else's <laughs> problem is what you did. Yeah, that's exactly right. I have done that many <laughs> times over the years. You know, it is someone else's problem now. Uh, I, you know, I, and I will always say, listen, here's the thing. Every, people that have had this, this is what they say happens. So you, you know, you're, you're, you know, buy a, buy a raffle, oh, wow. put it in this file at your own risk. Um, but people do anyway. Author Troy Taylor on the line with me right now. You can find all of Troy's stuff at AmericanHaunting.net. As you did kind of bring us into Iowa, this uh, this podcast series, this set of interviews is usually about, you know, the hauntings here in the state of Iowa because that's where our sure. radio station is based out of. When, you know, we talked a little bit about Malvern there in Villisca. Overall, when you hear the state of Iowa and all the research you've done and all the books you've written what kind of comes up when you think of Iowa and the world of the weird? Well, I mean, for me, it's it's always gonna the list is always gonna come up first. I mean, there's there's just no way around it. Okay, you know, um, you know, not only is it, you know, and while I've been to other places in Iowa, I mean, that's you know, it was always my favorite uh, for years. I mean, years and years. But you know, I started going there in like 2004. So I mean, it's been a long time ago. And it was a lot different than than it became. It was a lot. I don't know. I, it wasn't as commercial. I shouldn't say commercial because no, I, I know what you're saying though. Wrong, but it just became such a place where everybody went. And in the early days, it, it just wasn't. I mean, it was just like going to somebody's house practically. It was just a house with no electricity in it or anything. And I forget the, so, the the old man that ran the place, um, Darwin. Darwin, yeah, Darwin, Darwin, because uh, uh, Hauser runs it now. But uh, Darwin, like yes. uh, my my folks, when they originally went there, it was weird. He basically just said, "Yeah, here's keys. Have fun." <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You yeah, know? that was it. I know it. Um, yeah. When I first met him, I mean, he he drove me. I had dinner with him. He drove me, you know, uh, up to the cemetery to show me where everybody was buried. Brought me back to the house. Told me a little bit you know, here and there and said, okay, well, have a good night, you know, <laughs> and, <there's laughs> the keys and you're done. I mean, you know, nobody lived next door. I mean, I think Johnny lives next door now. And, you know, I, nobody lived next door. I, he and Martha, when I would come out, they would meet me, we'd have dinner and then they just go home, you know, or, or sit around and hang out for a while and tell stories, which was always fun, you know? So I got to know them pretty well in the early days. And then Darwin passed away and I hadn't been for a while. Uh, I went back a couple of years ago, I guess right before the pandemic, went back. And But I think that – I think Martha's trying to sell it now. But, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I'm sure she's ready to retire because the funny thing was it was always Darwin's thing anyway. Yeah. <laughs> she really wasn't all that interested, you know, in any of it. She's a – she's a talk about a character. You know, she's, she is so funny. 
but it was never really her thing. And, you know, so, you know, I, I wish her the best, whatever they decide to do. But yeah, I, I, I used to love to go there when it was just so, I mean, it was quiet, you know, it just wasn't, I don't know, there just wasn't so much going on with it then. You know, I, I feel like now I'm standing here feeling well, like one of those hipster people. No, oh, I liked I, it before it was cool. You know, I no, don't need it like I, that. I think it's more one of those things you get into some of these places. And if you believe in the whole haunting paranormal side of it, you know, there's that idea of what people drag into it. You know, what, you oh, know, energy oh, yeah. comes. And you've had 20 years of, uh, like you said, commercial, commercialization. No, well, not really that. But, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, once, like, Ghost Hunters started on TV— that's when a lot of this stuff started being big and everybody started going, checking this stuff out. I mean, what did you drag into this place? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I can say that it, for me personally, <laughs> that my experiences there kind of lessened as time went on. Um, you know, I mean, you know, it, it made enough impression on me. I wrote an entire book about it, yeah. you know, but then, you know, I, I would go back and while I always enjoyed it, it was never the same as time went by, because probably for just what you said, you did, you never knew if you did experience anything there, you never knew what it could be. I think most of the stuff that I had that I thought was, was really wild was like early on 2005, 2006. Yeah. I mean, that's when, you know, we're sitting on the floor, you know, and ball is rolling across the room by itself. And, you know, I, somebody followed me up the stairs. I could hear the footsteps, but then as time went on, it wouldn't be so much. I mean, people would have experiences, but it usually it, it wasn't me, you know, which is fine. But, you know, I, I already thought the house was haunted, so it wasn't like I needed to be convinced. Um, I mean, it's a, you know, some terrible stuff went on. Yeah. There, you know, well, I mean, it just did. So since you wrote the book, who do you think, I, and or do we have to buy the book to find out who do you think did it? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I mean, if people wanted to, if people wanted to, to know more, they, they can, they can buy the book, but, I don't think with I don't no one knows his name will never know his name. I I'm I actually was the first person to put together the theory that it was a traveling serial killer because while I was doing random research for the book, this was in like 2007, doing random research for the book, I started to run across other axe murders in the Midwest that were identical to Villisca. And so I started collecting them. And then, and then, of course, a few years later, a guy put out a book that was, you know, like why, not an independent publisher like mine, uh, was like a big name publisher called The Man on the Train. And while he quotes me a lot in the book, it's just, <laughs> he just kind of takes my theory and uses it. So whatever, you know. Screw I, you that know, guy. But I do think it, I know, I do think it was a, I really do think it was a serial killer. Um, but, but I mean, this guy, like, pinned like every single axe murder practically in the United States oh, wow. on this guy, even though there's no possible way he could have done it. There's really about six, but even so, that's still pretty bad. Yeah. And we'll never know what happened to the guy or anything else. You know, and he just disappears one day, then there's no more identical murders. I mean, that's pretty much just how things went at the time, you know, and this stuff would get picked up in the newspapers and you know, so it, it, it really, I found it fascinating. I think it's a fascinating story, um, you know, of, of what it might have been, uh, you know. But yeah. so that, that's my theory on it. And you know, like I said, I, I go into a lot more detail as to why I believe all that in the book. But that's, that's the gist of it is not one of the locals. I mean, it was not the senator. It was not the crazy preacher who was absolutely batshit. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> 
I'm so sorry. I forgot we're not doing a podcast here. No, we. It's um, fine. It's fine. We got a bleep button. It's, okay. it's cool. Yeah. It, okay. It's, good. It, it's fine. It's... That guy. <laughs> that guy was nuts. I mean, completely nuts. And while he seemed like he could be a good suspect, he could have never have done it. The dude was like five feet tall and weighed like 90 pounds soaking wet. Uh, at, at the trial, they asked him to pick up the axe and swing it over his head as the killer had done. He couldn't even do it. Oh, wow. So, I mean, and I don't, and this wasn't like a Johnny Cochran, if the glove don't fit kind of moment. <laughs> it was the real thing. This guy was this skinny little, I and mean, there was yeah. a reason they found him not guilty because there's no way he could have done it. Right. But so it's, it's a fascinating story. And uh, for people who live in that area, it's crazy how deeply divided they are on who it might have been because, you know, they learned from their parents and their grandparents and everything else is who couldn't be trusted and yeah. just crazy stuff. I mean, Darwin used to tell me stuff that, you know, that that's what his dad told him. And then I'd look it up and I go, okay, but there's no way this guy could have done it. He was in prison, but Darwin just believed it, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know, whatever. So, but I get it. I didn't grow up there. So it makes a big difference, you know, when people do. Author Troy Taylor on the line with me right now. You can find uh, the book about Velisca and all his other works at AmericanHaunting.net, along with all the other stuff uh, Troy's into and the podcast and all that. Um, when when you th- also think about Iowa, what other place comes up to you? I know you mentioned Malvern, Velisca. What what else sticks out to you? Uh, Edinburgh uh, Manor oh, is boy. another place that's, yeah, up by Cedar Rapids and Dubuque, up in that area. It's another one of those big old buildings, you know, that was a poor farm. And they just seem to, you know, and they end up poor farms. Nobody knows what to do with the building. And they turn it into, you know, a place where they lock people up, you know. And it's just one of those multi-use over-the-year things that just leave a lot of bad stuff behind. You know what story comes out of that place more more often than not than I hear when I I do these interviews is women being felt up at that place. Yeah, I've heard that too. Um, and I don't mean this I, to sound that. dirty or bad, or you know, no, if anybody's listening no, no. to this, that's just it, one of the one of the things that comes out of that place is more stories about women. There was a, a, a sort of funny one. One group told me where they some old ladies like, oh, you know, and and maybe kind of enjoyed it. But that's yeah, <laughs> it, I I don't know. That's a I haven't yet to be go there, and that's boy, that one's sort of scary. It is. I, I, I think it's scary. I don't I don't think it's as scary as Malvern, but I still think any time that you get those big old buildings like yeah. that, those big old abandoned, you know, giant, that, they're all creepy, in my opinion. I mean, there's one in Indiana that they still have all the stuff in it. Ooh. It was a mental hospital that closed down like maybe 15 years ago or something, and all the stuff's still in it. And that is even worse. I mean, that's scarier than just an abandoned building, in my opinion. Something about, you know, yeah. the old needles and <laughs> stuff and false teeth well, sitting on the table. And it's weird, man. Well, go back. What What is it about Malvern that is so much worse than Edinburgh? I don't know. I just I just something about the, the building. There's just something about that place that I think just is a lot more unsettling. Then even and I don't know why. Maybe it's just because it's not as big, so it's a little bit cramped. And you think of all those people locked away in there. And I think I probably just heard too many stories about it <laughs> that have kind of built it up in my head when I've gone there. Because I keep walk, you know, you walk down a hallway and you keep thinking, I'm going to hear somebody. I'm going to hear that woman talking about the devil come to get her. And I'm running out the front door. You know, that's all I keep thinking when I'm walking around in there. But 
you know, I mean, when you get to Edinburgh, though, I mean, the the size of it is overwhelming. You know, yeah. where I don't I just I, I find it super creepy. I just don't know if I feel like it's as haunted. Okay, I don't if that makes any sense. I don't know. Maybe that's all it is. I guess I've just I've been to more um, of these kind of big empty buildings like this over over the years uh, than I have, you know, someplace like Malvern, I guess, you know, I don't know. And plus, you know, starting out as a hotel, hotels are creepy anyway, because you think about how many people come through a hotel and all the nasty things that happen in hotels. It's almost scarier than it being a hospital. Uh, have, you, have you seen the guy on TikTok that cooks in uh, hotel sinks? You want to talk no. about just being frightened out of your mind? Ooh. Oh, God. <laughs> that sounds horrible. It, it, it is. You want Halloween goodness. That's it right there. Oh, God. Troy, oh, God. Troy yeah. Taylor on the line with me right now, AmericanHaunting.net for all of that. So those are the ones that really stick out to you. What, what else about yeah, Iowa I, kind of sticks out? I mean, I, and I don't want to just keep listing off things, but is there anything, oh, no, like, no, just in okay. general, it, it, where does Iowa kind of rank as hauntedness, goodness, well, I guess? I, mean, <laughs> I don't know how to quite to say I'm, Yeah, right. Well, growing up in the Midwest, though, I mean, it's, you know, I, I mean, I grew up in Illinois, so we're talking cornfields and all the same stuff pretty much you guys have got, you know, in different yeah. parts of the state. It's just that... Uh, and I and I, I I always because I mean I know so many stories that come from Illinois from where I grew up I know that there are stories in Iowa too you know there's all these farms and there's all these horrible things that have happened on them and there's plenty of stories out there um, you know I think more and more stuff comes to light over time um, I mean you don't you don't see a, a tremendous listing of more than a handful of places about Iowa, but I know there is more. Yeah. And I think that's kind of one of the things that, that is exciting for me. I, I've got friends who live up um, kind of up around uh, like Cedar Rapids. And so then when I go and visit them, they've usually got someplace to take me, you know, oh, oh, well, cool. let's go out here, let's go out here, you know? So I, you know, I, I think that it's a, you know, it's a great state. I mean, I think so, at least for ghosts. I mean, when it comes to ghosts and hauntings, I'm, I love all the open fields and the barns. And to me, that's that's what makes something spooky. That's what makes yeah. Halloween for me because that's how I grew up. Let me, let me ask you this. I mean, with uh, growing up in general, what was the ghost story that you always heard as a kid? Well, the one I and always it, it heard doesn't was matter where. Cemetery. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, this was about a cemetery <clears throat> that wasn't too far away. And it was like when I was in high school, that was where everybody would go. You know, they would all – and so people knew. I mean I was doing like on Halloween night, I would put together ghost tours for my friends around the <laughs> town. Where I know. So, so anybody would come around to me, and they'd want to tell me about places they knew of. I mean there was this hill uh, about – 30 minutes or so south of the town where I grew up that was supposed to be haunted, and there was a cemetery on top of it. But this big one was called Peck Cemetery, and it was in the middle of nowhere, and it was about 30 miles from where I grew up. And everybody would talk about how they would go out there and how scary it was. And since this was the 80s, of course, they were, you know, Satanists hiding out there waiting to kill you. Yeah. Stuff, you know, it was the 80s. So, but the thing to do was to pull, you drive through the woods. To get to this cemetery, then you park your car at the cemetery gates and you leave your lights on, and then you walk across the cemetery to the far side and walk back. That's it. Oh. But nobody ever did it. 
Nobody could do it. So, because the cemetery of Sibs, in the middle of nowhere, and it had been badly vandalized, and it was just a, it was a scary place, man. So, when I, I heard about this place, and I thought, well, we can do this, and so <laughs> off we went, my brother and I and some friends, and we just took off and decided to head out there, and we found it, and we drove back, you know, through the woods to get to the cemetery, and we pulled in, and we stopped at the gates, and you know, we did what everybody told us to do and left the lights on. My brother had a, uh, an old Camaro at the time, and so we, we pulled in and we parked, and, you know, it had the knob on it, you know, that you pull the headlights on back when they yeah. weren't automatic. And so then we got out, and we locked the door, we got out, and we started walking across the cemetery. So we got to one side, and we thought, well, this is nothing, and yeah, it's creepy, but big deal. And we started walking back, and we got about halfway across the cemetery, and the headlights on the car went out. No. Yeah, seriously. Headlights went out. This is like the first real experience I'd ever had that I couldn't explain. The headlights went out on the car. So now we didn't know immediately what to do. I mean, either the car was dead, and we were stuck out here. Do we run back to the car for safety because we're in the middle of a haunted graveyard, or are there Satanists with axes? you know, waiting, you know, by the car to kill us. We we don't know. It's always the Satanists. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And so we just cautiously went back to the car. We got there, it was still locked. And so then we thought, oh, great. You know, the battery's probably dead and we're in trouble now. So my brother opens the door and he leans in and he leans back out and he looks at me and he goes, I'm not getting in there. Like, what are you talking about? And so I look past him and the headlight knob that we pulled out to leave the headlights on had been pushed in manually pushed in no way into the car oh bull troy no i'm not true story (laughs) i swear to god it's a true story i didn't go back there for years wow to that cemetery and you know this was my thing this is what i did all my friends knew it i I would not go back to peck cemetery it was years before i went back that's crazy man we were scared we were really scared But true story, no, absolutely true. That was at the point where I thought, hmm, maybe there is something to all this stuff. Well, you that's know? what I was going to ask, and that's a pretty good – I mean, yeah. if it's manually pushed yeah. back in, that's saying a lot yeah. there. Yeah, there was no way it could have happened. It, it just couldn't have. It just wow. couldn't. There was no way for anyone to do it. Yeah. Author Troy Taylor on the line with me, AmericanHaunting.net for all of his stuff. As we get ready to wrap up here, Troy, uh, what else you got coming up uh, as we get to the uh, to the Halloween uh, uh, holiday itself? and uh, beyond what's coming up for you? Yeah, well, we uh, we pretty much wrapped everything up. Most stuff is is pretty much filled up. I've got a big St. Louis exorcism thing this weekend again, and then we actually do stuff after Halloween. We've got some events and some dinners and uh, some tours and things still in November. And then at our last event of the year is always our big Spirits of Christmas event. And, oh, cool! Um, it's a big one, and it's uh, you know kind of the dark side of the holidays. This is not you know merry and bright kind of thing it's you know it's like ghost stories at christmas monsters of christmas uh murders at christmas oh neat it's definitely the the dark side of the holidays so we kind of sell it on the idea if you're looking for something different uh this is definitely it and uh yeah we pack it in every year we usually have 100 150 people for it so it's a lot of fun that's very cool what uh what books are in the works right now uh well i've got some other stuff i just came out with one but it's about southern illinois it's called blood bullets and booze and it's kind of the counter to the gangsters of chicago 
who were in, you know, Al Capone and those guys banging everything up in Chicago. These guys were in southern, southern Illinois, and they were just as dangerous and a lot crazier. Uh, so it's, it's, it was kind of fun to work on because there really hasn't been a lot of material about that before. So that one just came out recently. And so, yeah, I've got a few other things in the works that will be coming out early next year. So perfect. always well, stay in business. I we look forward to it. Troy, thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Man. Oh, sure. Of course. Author Troy Taylor joining me for the final edition of The Haunting in 2023. You can find out more about Troy over at AmericanHaunting.net. I'll have his information at the bottom of the page. You have a happy Halloween.